0: Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together we can all make a difference, and it starts with love. Love from the Hip. One of the earliest literary references for hoarding was made in the 14th century by Italian writer Dante Alighieri. Dante wrote the Inferno, known today as Dante's Inferno, a divine comedy depicting the journey of the soul toward God, with the Inferno representing the recognition, as well as rejection, of sin. In Dante's Inferno, there is a reference made to hoarding, which he described as a sin of greed. He also saw wasting as an equivalent sin, yet an opposite to hoarding. In the Inferno, both types of souls are bound together to represent the evils of both extremes and then condemned to hell's fourth circle. Among other literary references is a popular historical novel written by E.L. Dr. Rowe called Homer and Langley, inspired by a true story of the lives of two of the most well-known hoarders in history, brothers Homer and Langley Collier, a lawyer and an engineer who both died in 1947 in their mansion in Harlem, New York, and were victims of hoarding, It is said that the Great Depression was the catalyst for their reclusiveness. They boarded up their windows and shut themselves off from the rest of the world. Their house became full of boxes, trash, bundled newspapers, and junk. They had neither gas nor electricity nor water due to unpaid bills. The severity of the situation became public when someone reported a rancid smell coming from the house. The police had a hard time entering the home due to the barricade of junk, so they had to break a second-story window to get in only to find Homer, who had starved to death. Langley later died in the home, too, his body found buried and crushed under metal boxes and loads of newspapers. It is reported that a total of 120 tons of debris and junk were removed from the house. Years after the Collier case, parents continued to use them as an example to get their children to clean their rooms, and many referred to hoarding as the Collier-Mansion syndrome. In 1993, extensive research was conducted by Smith psychology professor Randy Frost, who is a well-known expert on obsessive-compulsive disorder and the pathology of perfectionism. The question that triggered his study was from his student, Rachel Gross, who asked why there were so few studies on hoarding. Subsequently, they placed an ad in the Daily Hampshire Gazette looking for hoarders and received hundreds of calls. His publication called The Hoarding of Possessions was the first formal hoarding study. Ongoing research into hoarding at Smith has included genetics, epidemiology, phenomenology, neuroimaging, as well as how hoarding is expressed in children versus adults. It wasn't until 2013 when the US officially recognized hoarding as a mental disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders In order to meet the diagnosis, a person must have acquired an unmanageable and even hazardous number of possessions that appear to be useless or of limited value, yet would cause them severe distress if discarded. Data shows that 2 to 6% of the population in the U.S. suffer from hoarding, which is twice as many as OCD, despite the fact that hoarding used to be seen as merely a symptom of OCD. Although it is not the primary cause of hoarding, genetics are a contributing factor. In fact, researchers have found that in families with two or more members who hoard, they have an identified allele on chromosome 14. Professor Randy Frost concluded in his research that more than 80% of people who hoard have a first degree relative with similar problems. Non-genetic causes for hoarding include brain injuries, anxiety, depression, dementia, ADHD, and even are a result of experiencing trauma. Harvard professor of history Daniel Lord Smale recommends we stop looking at biology and culture as separate causes. He explains how gene expression is intimately tangled up with cultural and individual life circumstances. He gives the example of how our mouths have become too small to accommodate wisdom teeth when we started processing food. And so, Smale says the same applies to hoarding. In that it too is caused by the ways in which our physical selves interact with a changing material environment. Material possessions have somehow come to take on individual personalities with an exaggerated emotional significance and heavily weigh upon a person's decision making and overall mental health and well being. The unfortunate truth is that Americans have too much stuff. There are roughly 300,000 items on average in every American household. The average size of an American home has tripled in size within the last 50 years. The US has upward of 50,000 storage facilities, which is more than five times the number of Starbucks. About 10% of American households are renting at least one storage space, which is often to accommodate an overflow of stuff. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but own 40% of all the toys consumed globally. Our homes are said to have more televisions than people. We consume twice as many material goods as we did 50 years ago, and we spend $1.2 trillion annually on things we do not need. Perhaps all of us need to address our amount of stuff and what it is we really need versus what we have that is only serving as a means to fill a void. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my pleasure to have Tammy Moses on my show. Tammy is a Hoarding Solutions Consultant and Chief Encouragement Officer. She will share her wisdom on this mental disorder and what we can do to address it. So stick around for this insightful show.
1: The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, sutte
0: Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Estera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Estera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skin Care Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes and fungus, don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Estera skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at esteracare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A care.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip, that's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. It is an absolute joy to have Tammy Moses on my show today. Tammy is a hoarding solutions consultant and chief encouragement officer. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for joining us in the studio today.
2: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. And this is a tough topic to tackle.
2: (laughs) It it definitely is. And a lot of people... Struggle with it more than we realize. Yeah,
0: that's what I found out doing my little research. So how long have you been a hoarding solutions consultant?
2: Well, I was thinking about the numbers today, and it was about seven years that I have been working on this issue and just shining a light on it. And it, it seemed like there weren't enough options for people that see the issue but don't actually have the hoarding issue. And so I just started to realize how much of a need there is for people to have a better understanding of this and what they are looking at when they walk into some of these situations. So you
0: lay it all out for them? Yes. And so how did you end up wanting to work with people
2: who hoard? Well, the interesting part, I think, is that I didn't really set out. Okay. (laughs) It came to you. It kind of came to me Mm -hmm. um, over a period of time through some business mentoring and conversations that I originally wanted to talk about housing issues because I saw a lack of affordable housing. I saw homelessness increasing in the area where I lived. And I just thought, "What, what are we doing about these issues? And as I started to explore that more and more, it became pretty apparent that hoarding could lead to some of these situations as far as evictions and homelessness and that families and people were struggling in these situations. And although people do talk about it, it just still seemed like there was a gap about, well, okay, now now what do we do about it? We're talking about it, but where do we solve it? How do we get to the heart of what's actually going on in these situations? Where do
0: we go from here? Where do we go? Yeah, so you saw a need for that. Yes. So, and were you a victim of hoarding as
2: well? So, and this is the part for me is like, well, I I kind of grew up in the situation, and it didn't start out that way, from what I can recall, but it did grow over time, and it became very isolating to be growing up in that environment. And you, it was kind of there was a lot of shame and kind of embarrassment. You didn't want to have people over. You know, you didn't want to have to explain why it looked like you were moving after you'd been there for 10 years. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And so what age did you realize that you're, was it both of your parents or just one that was a hoarder?
2: So there was a lot of blame placed, I feel, on my mom uh, as far as hoarding goes. But my dad also had a fair share of stuff and things, hobbies that he liked to do. And so there was a lot of stuff but it was like different things one he had a lot of books and instruments and things like that and my my mom also had a lot of things but it seemed to be more related to house things um, as far as we had wood stoves so we always had bags of stuff to be able to burn or um, and things like that and only recently I discovered how much of our things were put outside and under a tarp and Hmm. and it was like we were shoved out somehow and I just that really had a lot of impact on me recently when I was realizing how much room like it didn't seem there like there was enough room.
0: Yeah and how stuff kind of took your place Mm -hmm. right which yeah and so did you know so you you recognize that that was happening and is it common then, you said both of your parents, you realize, were hoarding even though your mom received the blame. Is it common for people to attract other hoarders?
2: Well, it's very interesting to me that sometimes that does seem to be true, uh, where people, like we eat, we attract what we know. And so it seemed like there was that that piece of it. But what I really think it is, is that we, like trauma, seem to attract trauma. Mm-hmm. And... It. I also would say that there were some undiagnosed um, issues going on as far as, like, depression, anxiety issues that I, I feel led to this manifestation of hoarding. And it was kind of a protective measure um, to keep people away. Mm. If you have stuff, people can't hurt you. People can't come in. And people can't come in. So then did you keep your room absolutely clean as a result? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, Eventually, like, so at first we lived in a small cabin, and then we moved into the bigger house. And for a couple winters, like, I slept on a cot downstairs in the den area. But I eventually did have my own room, and I was insistent that nothing would come in. So if you think in terms of today, you would probably look at my room and say, like, I was this minimalist. minimalist. Because I just didn't want anything in there. And... Not only was I a teenager, like I was also a sassy about it because I didn't want that stuff in there. And it's only now when I look back on it that I realize how anxiety producing clutter actually was for me. And so I was creating a space that actually had a carpet on the floor and my desk and a chair and just very clean lines and no clutter. Boundaries. Yeah. And boundaries. And I bet you were
0: afraid that you would end up hoarding as an adult. So that's why you tried so hard.
2: You know, I, I, I don't know if I thought about it at that age. Like, I didn't realize what components there could be I that, that could show up later in my life. But I will say that at 13, we visited a great aunt and my grandma, and they both had hoarding issues mm. in the Midwest. And I didn't. So when I reflect, at least on my great aunt's home, a big farmhouse, And the whole parlor area was basically full except for a cot and a fire and a place for her dog and i didn't even realize that like i was getting a future picture of what my parents house would look like like Mm. 10 years down the road and I distinctly remember being in that space for about 10 minutes and begging at 13 to go back outside. Get out. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so was it ever
0: unsafe? Did you ever feel unsafe growing up in the, in your house?
2: I, so here, here's the part that did make me feel unsafe, and I note how it impacts me to this day. And at one point we had a pump house where the wellhead was and we had a light in there that kind of kept heat in there but at one point there were some baby lambs that were in there and a fire started in that pump house Mm. and while the fire was put out the animals were a loss and we never we never had water again running water again for many years after that and to I remember growing up always being afraid that we'd come around the corner and the house would be on fire. Mm. And that was, like, my fear. And the way it drives my boyfriend nuts now is the way it manifests for me is I don't leave the coffee pot plugged in. I don't leave the toaster plugged in. Like, I'm always pulling it out, and he'll go to start the coffee pot, and he's like, why is this coffee not brewing? Right. I unplugged it. Mm. (laughs) It's created some PTSD for you, I imagine. And I just didn't... I didn't make a lot of those connections, but I always had that kind of this fire fear. Mm-hmm. So,
0: And you joined the military, and I, I remember you saying that you found that a lot of other people joined the military to get out from a family of hoarders. So, so that was quite common for you.
2: I, I was I was surprised to learn that, and I didn't know that when I went into the military right out of high school. And it wasn't until probably about three years ago when I started going to a lot of business conferences and talking with people and saying, hey, I'm talking about hoarding. This is why I'm working on it. And people would share their stories with me. And I was astonished by the number of people who actually found the military as an escape route for s- escaping from something like that, but other types of chaos as well and being hungry and not having clothes. and. Mm. Um, just needing some structure, I think. I think when you have that chaos as a kid, you're you're looking for some discipline structure, and structure, yeah, some discipline. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. wow. So, what do you believe are the reasons for people
2: hoarding? What I've seen, and from the conversations I've had with people that have had hoarding issues, that when you talk with someone and you really focus on that human element you are hearing their stories of trauma, of loss, of abandonment. Maybe they didn't have enough to eat. Maybe they um, were, I've talked to a number of people who've gone through foster care who Mm. somehow ended up in that hoarding situation. And it just, there's so much trauma underneath it that it's by not looking at the trauma, it's like we're ignoring the whole premise as to why someone is hoarding. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as you mentioned, with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, um, anxiety, depression, it can be other mental health issues that allow hoarding to be the coping mechanism for for it. And
0: because that's quite common, um, would you say then most people don't recognize it as a problem?
2: I think Because there's so much shame and guilt around the issue that even if you don't have the hoarding issue, there's like this societal expectation that you'll help your parent that has a hoarding issue. Mm. And I do think that we don't talk about it and don't face it head on because we don't know what to say. And we don't even know like how we don't understand, like our brains cannot compute how someone can live in some of these conditions. And if we do attempt to say something, it's often not kind. Not received well. And it's yeah. not received well either. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's such a big, overwhelming issue to take on, which is mm-hmm. great Well, why you exist to help. <laughs> so, so what are some of the excuses that I'm sure you've heard for people to
2: justify why it's right or okay for them to hoard? Well, a lot of people say, I have the right to live how I want And this isn't impacting anyone else. And basically, why do you care and leave me alone? On the other hand, you have people who recognize that there's an issue, but they really don't know how to address it. Or they're afraid to ask for help because they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of being evicted. They're afraid of losing their kids Mm. or losing their housing. Or, you know, there's just all these reasons why people are afraid to ask for help. And it also is kind of that stigma around mental health. People don't want to be called hoarders right? because, well, that's negative. That means I'm a bad person. And really what it means is you have an issue with this thing over here, but that doesn't mean the rest of us don't have issues as well. And I think it's important. Most of us have a junk drawer or something, you know, a pile of mail, laundry that needs to be folded. Most of us have something that could be called clutter Mm -hmm. it's just when it becomes excessive that you really start having problems functioning in your space and even cooking or navigating through your space and it's people do have the right to live how they want and that's part of the the reasons people cite that they can do whatever they want in their space Mm -hmm.
0: okay and so would you say it's something that begins later in life or are there signs of it early
2: on in our childhood It has shown up for children at a young age. I mean, some of it is kind of normal behavior. You're collecting things or you, like, I remember collecting stickers in fifth grade. And (laughs) (laughs) I did uh, that. Right. (laughs) And so we kind of collecting, I think, is kind of like this normal behavior. Right. But sometimes it's the detachment part where a, a child will gather everything and they want, they don't want to release a toy. They don't want to release anything. They don't want to detach from it. And so it can show up for kids in in that way. Other times it can be dormant, like the propensity to hoard is there, but then it's dormant until there's a trauma, a death, a divorce, loss of a pet, move, retirement, some kind of traumatic brain situation um, that allows people, or they kind of fall into this hoarding situation. Right. Long-term health, too, with challenges can cause something that was not hoarded before to become maybe not hoarding. Like it didn't start out as hoarding, but it kind of rolls into that where they're no longer able to maintain their space.
0: Right. So there's got to be a trigger if -hmm. you will. Right. Okay. So would you say that it's a learned behavior as well?
2: I would say to a degree, yes, it is learned because you see like you learn what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so If you don't see how other people live away from that or you don't know that there's another way, I think it it is kind of a learned behavior to accept that kind of clutter in your space. Um, But it's kind of the same as people who, like you may grow up with uh, someone who has an alcohol issue or an abusive parent or something like that, and two people grow up in that same environment and one One totally deviates the other way and someone else stays and repeats that pattern. So I I find that it's very similar that people can, you look at it and you either reject it or you take it on for yourself. Which brings me also to asking then,
0: do you think hoarding is an addiction? Can you consider it an addiction?
2: My personal view is that it is very Mm addiction-like and that you have to choose something different like no one else can make that decision for you you can have support and resources but you have to decide I don't like this environment I don't want to live this way I'd like to detach I'd like to keep donate discard like I'd like to get through this process so I can have my space or family back
0: right okay well with that we're going to take a quick break but everyone stay tuned for the weekly skinny up next In this Weekly Skinny, I would like to discuss broken capillaries, or couperose. Couperose is a chronic skin condition caused by the weakening of the blood vessels, located mainly on the cheeks, nose, and chin. How exactly do we get these tiny broken vessels on our face? Well, it's completely normal for your skin to redden under the influence of heat, cold, emotion, stimulants like alcohol, aspirin, spices, coffee, or during physical activity. The blood vessels dilate to let blood flow through them, then spontaneously close after a certain amount of time has passed, thus allowing the skin to regain its normal appearance. However, sometimes certain blood vessels may have trouble reclosing. Redness then appears and the cuperose settles in. In most cases, cuperose or broken capillaries is hereditary. However, extremities in weather like a sunburn, windburned, and frostbite, as well as trauma from surgery, and any stress put on the skin can also cause them. Couperose is different from rosacea. Couperose is a vascular condition that affects both large and small blood vessels and appears as a localized redness. Rosacea, on the other hand, is associated with permanent redness, only involving the small capillaries, and usually includes a small rash or flare. How can you treat Couperose? One simple way is to add a vitamin A product to your at-home regimen. Vitamin A will stimulate collagen and elastin and subsequently will thicken the skin, making broken capillaries less noticeable. But make sure to choose a bio-effective brand like Environ. As far as treatments go, you can always get laser treatments, but these are not permanent because the capillaries can regenerate and you will require a series of treatments which can be quite expensive. Another less expensive alternative and also beneficial for all of your face would be to do microneedling treatments. Microneedling not only thickens the collagen and strengthens connective tissue, but it also causes reabsorption of the damaged capillaries. The best treatment to combat cuprose is combining a topical bioeffective vitamin A with a series of professional microneedling treatments. If you are struggling with broken capillaries or rosacea and are interested in learning more or are local and want to book a microneedling treatment, then email me at sakura at sakuraskinandmind.com.
1: skinandmind.com.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Today, I have the pleasure of having Tammy Moses on my show. Tammy is a hoarding solutions consultant and chief encouragement officer. So Tammy, before the break, we were discussing how hoarding can be seen as an addiction. Do most people who hoard also have other addictions you find?
2: I have found that there seems to be a struggle with other issues in their life. And one thing that I have seen and in different conversations I've had is there does seem to be a propensity for people to have alcohol use and ex- excessive alcohol use. Um, there also seems to be, I would say, some food Disorder issues. Um, And a lot of that stems from, I think, you're not able to cook. Like, you you know, you have easy to prepare things that maybe aren't the healthiest thing for you.
0: Because you can't navigate through your kitchen. You can't
2: navigate. um, If your stove is covered, kitchen's covered, how do you cook in a healthy way? How do you... If your fridge is full of food, you can't eat and it's expired. And, like, where do you put the good food that you bring in? Right. And it's... I, so I do see it, but I think overall I would say it's more around that mental health piece. And but I do I would say that hoarding is like self medicating, which is very much how alcohol is, where you're you're essentially using that to kind of cover up whatever else is going on.
0: Right. And so having had experience, having dated someone who was a hoarder
2: <clears throat> as well as an alcoholic, mm.
0: um, would you find it's common that they may be a perfectionist about some areas in the home or doing like cleanliness, for 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 example?
2: So I do see that perfectionist piece, which is why I think originally hoarding was tied so much to like the OCD component where people, and I see it, like one space will be clean, it'll be vacuumed, it'll be as straightened out as you could possibly get. And it might be like a four by four area, but everything around it, is still cluttered and trip hazard and all that so and so I believe that's part of why the hoarding piece continues to exist because they want to do whatever piece they can to perfection and if they can't do it perfectly in that moment they don't want to start because they can't finish it and
0: it gives them this false sense of their place being clean Yes.
2: Right. And 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 if and if you say I would like a thirty-six inch path in this space, you will not get thirty-seven inches. You will get exactly what you say you need. Hmm. Um you will not get more than that. So
0: let's talk about hoarding and veterans. Do you find it to be common among veterans?
2: I'm finding more and more that It is a challenge, especially if you serve for many, many years. Like over time, you've collected a lot of different mementos and different things from the places you've been stationed. And, uh, you know, on that final move, you might have a lot of things that you have to move. And that can be really challenging because you have weight limits when the military moves you. Mm -hmm. And but what I see is I see it in the older population as people are aging Um, my, my dad was also a veteran and I have seen it with other people as well, where they're either a veteran or attached to military service, or there was some kind of a loss, um, Mm. of the veteran. And so it could be someone that was a spouse or family member. And I see it coming up, um, kind of around like the, the traumatic brain injury and sometimes, That person will not have hoarded or or they may have now be exhibiting PTSD and they didn't hoard before. But now that's one of their coping mechanisms. And it's very hard for the caregiver of that person to deal with it. And the thing with hoarding is even if a person can't do it on a big scale, like they can't do the whole house. Right. They still hoard in the bookshelf, in their chair, in the pocket, the attachment to old Kleenex or different things, is still very real and very much a struggle for people who are in some of these assisted living and care facilities where the hoarding behaviors don't go away. It's just your environment changes and what you hoard might be smaller things. I see. Yeah,
0: because I imagine that's also very common for veterans who come back from war and with their spouse who doesn't hoard Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden having to deal with that and Hiding that in the house somewhere,
2: and it's, it puts a lot of strain on relationships. Yeah, in the marriage and relationship. And even if you don't aren't dealing with like every person has like a clutter tolerance, I would right. call it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked how you said uh, stuff is a symptom.
2: Yes, and, and it really is a symptom. And granted, it's the piece we see and have, and it obviously has to be addressed many times. But it's really not. The true issue of what's going on with the person. And that's partly why often forced cleanouts happen because it's necessary if it's squalor or trash or infestation of rodents or roaches or whatever. And mm. so, and if you think about people living in apartments or condos or attached places. Like one person hoarding is going to impact at least probably two units on either side or up and down. And so it's it can be much more of a issue than I think we are realizing. But I think after the past year and a half or so, we're going to start seeing more issues come to light that will have to be addressed. Yeah, I was going to
0: ask you about how you think COVID has really impacted
2: hoarding and hoarders. So some people are on like an inspection, uh, quarterly inspection, and some people have not had that for over a year. And so no one's been in to check the status of the home. And once those restrictions are lifted, what are we going to find, you know, in, for some of these people? And
0: a lot of the children living in squalor.
2: And, and yeah. kids living in that yeah. and not not being able to cook, not knowing how to cook, you know, maybe they're living on just things they can microwave. And if you're a kid in school and you're on different calls and different things for your school, like you have to learn to kind of, how do you navigate that? How do you not show your space to your classmates and teachers? and, And somehow you feel guilty for it even if you didn't create it and aren't allowed to fix it.
0: And also for those children, school was the escape from that, right? And they didn't have that for a whole year.
2: And church, school, different, you know, community groups that you might go go do things with. Like you've been very restricted in your ability to get away from it.
0: Yeah. So what do you do as a hoarding solutions consultant? Can you walk us through the process?
2: So a lot of times it's a process to even get someone to talk to me. (laughs) that has a hoarding issue and it's partly why I started to see how many family members and how many other service providers would see the issue and not know what to do like not know how to say anything or wouldn't say anything because they didn't want conflict or to make that person cry and so basically what I do is start with a conversation whether it's the provider whether it's the person with the hoarding issue whether it's the family member and just get it get a good idea and do a virtual consultation on what is going on right now and what what is the issue and what is the outcome we're trying to get to. And I, have, I do and have done on-site walkthroughs where we create a plan as to how are we going to start working on this. But given all the things going on in the past year and a half, that's primarily become virtual options. But if you're brave and I have clients who are who will show me they'll turn that camera around and show me this is the room or this is what I'm working on. And so I would, the biggest thing is I would say you have to be ready um, to have a conversation about it, no matter who you are or how you're involved with that situation.
0: Right, and when you were working with people in person, did you have to wear PPE? Like this was before COVID.
2: (laughs) Right, and while I did not initially do that, primarily. Um, I also did not deal with like rodent infestation, which is a whole nother situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what I would do initially, I would used to wear a scarf and put like an essential oil on it. And so it's a way to look nice, but protect you a little bit. And the most I would say now that I have worn is like a respirator mask mm-hmm. and like shoe covers. But if you're a person working in that space, You may want to consider coveralls or Tyvek suit, shoe covers, even hair covering, um, eye protection, depending on how much dust you're stirring up. And if you're going, it's better to vacuum than sweep because you're just stirring up all kinds of things if you're sweeping. And I think for me, one of the hardest ones was having someone that had a couple dogs that had a dog door and. Could go out, but chose not to, and so you were cleaning uh, up that along with clothes and things. So it's it is important to be mindful of what you are walking into, and and silence doesn't solve it, but right. kindness can go a long way.
0: And so, in your conversation, I imagine you're also trying not to shame them or form any judgment. How how does that go? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs>
2: It's yes, you are trying to not be judgmental, you are trying not to be shaming, you are trying to have that conversation to find out what's going on with them because they're finally asking for help, right? right? So they don't want to
0: turn them away.
2: And you know, there's things that you, you can say, you know, tell me, tell me what's going on, Sally. Um, you know, hey, John, I noticed you know, this teddy bear over here, tell me more about where this came from, and you'll usually get the stories if you listen and start engaging in a conversation and it's just so challenging but there's things don't say things like we're throwing it all out I'm here to throw everything out today like learn what their trigger words are and try not to use those Mm, yeah
0: well with that we're going to take another break but everyone stay tuned for more love from the hip
2: The passing of our loved
1: ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, S-U-T-T-E-R dot com
2: to take a minute and invite you on over to the love shack it's a little old place where we get to get together explore fresh perspectives eavesdrop on juicy conversations and uncover the mysteries that nobody talks about but absolutely influences
1: our relationships and we're tom and stacy bartley we are the hosts of love shack live which airs every thursday at 1 p.m pst eleven fifty 50 kknw am yeah come on over and join us we look forward to connecting with you soon protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just joining us today, I have the great pleasure of having Tammy Moses on my show. Tammy is a hoarding solutions consultant and chief encouragement officer. So Tammy, I have to ask you what tends to be the most common breaking points for people to seek help?
2: A lot of times those breaking points are things like someone is going to have an inspection coming up in their apartment or house and they are consumed with worry about not passing that inspection. And that can lead to eviction over time if you don't um, deal with that situation. Um, Other times it can be Neighbors have complained about your situation and they may be able to see it from the exterior of the home. Um, They may have, if it's very severe, there may be rodents that are on that property and encroaching on other people's. And so a lot of times it seems that the intervention piece kind of happens when an outside force causes that to Mm. occur. And I mean, so... I know in my own family, um, this person is now deceased, but basically she was elderly, and the smell coming from that apartment was what really started to be an issue in that apartment complex. And ultimately it caused an eviction because she didn't want to deal with the stuff in the space. And so it's often an outside force and it causes a lot of friction as we talked about with families and sometimes it can lead to people moving out getting a divorce or separate choosing to live separately because one person can't tolerate that clutter and sometimes that will lead to some kind of movement around addressing the issue but it's often very slow and painful
0: yeah i was going to ask how most people are or how, how receptive they are to the intervention are they more? Are they willing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Some people are, but most of the time, you're getting a lot of resistance and denial that there's actually an issue, and so there can be a lot of tears and anger and um, just a trauma response. I would say to dealing with the things that are in your in their space, and I would definitely say that seeking assistance for the mental health piece dealing with the trauma is very valuable for that person to help them deal with whatever is causing them to hoard, but also having them being involved with the clean out is actually a valuable piece and a skill where they can develop the idea that they don't need to keep everything, that they can learn to detach. And if you're trying to detach from things, you can take photographs and then move them along and you still would have that memory And something you could reflect on, but you aren't crowding your space. Yeah, and it gives them the tool to discern
0: that they're hoarding, right? Mm -hmm. So. So this brings me to my next question about the safety and the hazards. Why is it important for the community to get involved,
2: and how are you a part of that? So I'm taking the stance that hoarding is basically a public health issue. It's a public health crisis when you have someone who doesn't recognize they have a problem and they're impacting not only the property but the health of the people living there. And I have been involved somewhat with a couple of different task forces that are forming in the Seattle area that are looking to deal with this in a bigger way and just providing support to that and being being available to recommend that we have a conversation, that we don't just allow it to fester because it does impact first responders who are trying to get into a space, Mm -hmm. um, trying to get out of the space. Um, And they even call them heavy content homes. And so having our first responders impacted by this is very it's hard for me to see that because I had a positive experience with them putting out the fire on the property where I grew up in the pump house. And to think that their their desire is to rescue, but they can't because of the situation they're encountering is very hard on their mental health. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And puts their lives at risk, too. And it, and it really does. And often the person that hoards doesn't really... They aren't as concerned about themselves but sometimes you can make a difference in the conversation by talking about the other people that could be impacted by their inaction. Because
0: mm-hmm. they're probably not even thinking of it. No. Yeah. So I know you had touched on mental health and, and therapy coinciding with maybe cleaning out the house. So do you recommend that this happen also to keep people from basically hoarding up again after cleaning
2: out? Yes, because if you don't address some of those core issues, then you are going to continue the same behavior that you know and has been comforting. And a lot of people have a hard time finding someone that specializes in hoarding. And there's a lot of people who aren't aware of how severe this can be. And you can be someone seeking mental health counseling and never reveal that you have a hoarding issue. You You can never tell that. To someone and no one can figure out, like, why are you having this ongoing issue? And so it is helpful for a person to seek that, but look at someone who understands trauma, look at look for someone who is aware of how difficult that is and that people have different coping mechanisms and hoarding happens to be one of them.
0: Right. And it's just rewiring the brain. Right. So, so what would you recommend be the first step in dealing with
2: a loved one who hoards? If you are currently in contact and have a somewhat decent relationship, you could start off by mentioning that I'm concerned about your safety and I, am, I want to try to understand what's happening and I would like to see if you would let me help um, you do go through this. Oftentimes the answer is no, and sometimes your best recourse is to find an organizer or a family friend or someone who is familiar but will work with your loved one and that your loved one will allow to work with you. If you are kind of estranged from them, which is very common, um, you could start by just kind of reconnecting and finding out where they're at. But frankly, sometimes family members have gone no no contact, and they have often already depleted their resources, whether it's mental, financial, or uh, physically, they may not be able to actually do anything to help. And sometimes, honestly, the family member is not the right or best person Mm -hmm. to try to navigate it.
0: Okay. So that's when you come in. Yes.
2: (laughs) Or people that, you know, you have junk removal, you have organizers, you have housekeeping options. And really, if you are someone that's helping, you just want to keep it simple.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell us more about your podcast and how my listeners can find
2: it. So I started a podcast called The Hoarding Solution Podcast. And I know at this moment we are on um, Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And it kind of came about because family members really didn't have a voice when after surviving the hoard and so I saw a need for that and also people talk about we talk about mental health and trauma and PTSD and suicide and some of the things that are mental health issues but they do show up a lot in hoarding and a lot of veteran centric um, discussions and a lot of what We talk about it because we need to be talking about it and that I'm creating space for us to have a voice and to be seen and heard. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah, really. (laughs) So what's a chief encouragement officer, I have to ask?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of came up with that play on words because what I have found is most of us, hoarding or not, wherever we are in life, we need encouragement. We need Mm -hmm. kindness. We need someone to let us know we matter even if it's in the smallest way. And so I decided that many people have encouraged me and that I was just going to adopt that title.
0: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so how can my listeners contact you?
2: So I do have a website um, called thehoardingsolution.com and a lot of my links and blog is there. And I also have a, the Hoarding Solution community, uh, and you can find me at The Hoarding Solution on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for speaking about this heavy topic today.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's been a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Wonderful. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer. You, the listener, KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Really love the show. Don't be shy. Drop me a line at, sakura at LovefromTheHip.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya.
1: A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H dot com.